0: But well, welcome. So, this is navigating friendships. And, you know, there are things in life that I wish I got a manual on when I started them, like um, raising kids. You know, you can read all the books, but you're like, dang, that one didn't have all the answers. And, oh, that one didn't have all the answers. I wish there was a manual, right? I wish there was a manual for like cooking food. Like cookbooks, do you think like these are the answers? Well, they're not. <laughs> I'm like, and make it look easy. And then they'll ask you to do something, and I'm like, I have to Google that to learn how to do it, and then that tells me to do something with some tool, so I have to Google that. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Never looks like the picture, right? And if it does, it might not taste like you think it should, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, friendships, one of them, right? Nobody ever ever gave me a manual on how to do it. It's hard. I wish I did. There were so many times in my life I wish, oh, I wish I was like a book I could go to and like read through it and it'll tell me how, how to do this thing because I don't know what I'm doing. Well, guess what? This isn't it. I'm not handing you a manual. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously, right? But I hope that through the next hour you get some tips and tricks and some ideas on how to do friendship a little better and what a kingdom-centered friendship looks like and how we can be better friends And how we can engage good friends. So my vision of friendship is always over a cup of coffee. Or tea. My husband's a tea guy. I'm a coffee girl. So either or. So today I'm drinking my tea. Both because I love it and two because I'm pregnant and it helps my nausea. So bear with me as I drink and sip my tea. But also I'm going to view you guys as friends tonight. Right? We never know where really good friends can lie. We can meet them anywhere. So there's like there's tons of potential here. So you guys are my friends for the next hour. Welcome. So if we're going to have a friendship, you, you better get to know a little bit of who I am, right? So I'm Heidi Thurston. I live in Kaiser. I've lived there for about two and a half years. My husband and I moved down so my husband could teach in Woodburn. He's a the theater teacher there at the high school. Very proud of him for doing that. I have two daughters, Alice, who is four, and Elizabeth, who's almost two. They keep me on my toes. They are a lot of work, and I love them for it. Being a stay-at-home mom was a dream of mine, and I get to live out that dream. I went to every kind of school. So I did private school, then homeschool, and then I did public school, and then I did private university. So did the gamut growing up. In college, I took a test, and I discovered that I have learning disabilities. Kind of always knew it, but never had the opportunity to be tested. I discovered I'm dyslexic, and I have a learning disability, or, um, sorry, a processing deficit, which is a learning disability, which means I just don't process information the way that most people do. I have, like, no filing cabinets in my head, which made school really hard, because recalling information was very difficult for me. I love people. People asked me when I was in high school, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I thought, I just want to talk to people in a coffee shop, right? That's all I want to do. Can't I get paid for that? I don't want to solve any problems. I just want to talk to them. I'm outgoing and I'm a storyteller. I went to George Fox to be a theater major and not necessarily the best actress, but I learned I love stories. I love people's stories. I love telling my own story. Give me a microphone. I love it. I'm a storyteller through and through. I love Netflix. And I have no shame in that because it's a bunch of stories. And I think I learn about God and life and people through stories. So I'm a storyteller. And above all, I love Jesus. He's my best friend. If we're going to talk about friendship today, we got to talk about Jesus. He's a lover of my soul. He's my healer. He's my redeemer, and I am so proud that I get to be his daughter. So we're going to talk about what friendship looks like today. So my first memory of friendship was on a playground. I don't even remember how old I was. And I ran up to a kid, and I was like, hey, you want to be my friend? And for what seemed like a lifetime, we were BFFs, our best friends. And then probably after what was actually 30 minutes, he went home, and I went home, and I never saw him again. I don't even know what his name was, but I was that quick to make friends. That's my first memory of friendship. So I want to start tonight by, on your handouts that you got for this, on the back side, there are questions. Just look at the next one. If you're like me and you like to peek, you can peek at the next ones, but we're just going to focus on the first one right now. What was your first memory of friendship or a friend? I just want you to go down memory lane and just think: What was your first memory of friendship? Yeah. Yeah, and then actually write it down, or if you're like me, you just kind of scratch it really quickly, <laughs> and then have no idea what you wrote back <laughs> when you try to read it. But <laughs> okay, I hope you enjoyed that trip down memory lane. Maybe you had to go back far, maybe not so far, I don't know. But I think it's a good place to start. Like, Where was the seed of friendship in our hearts? Was it good, was it bad? But it tends to dictate how we view friendships, even today, right? So I wanted us to start there. So my friendship journey was an interesting one. My family moved around a lot when I was really little. We moved because my dad changed jobs, became a teacher at a private school, and then he decided he actually wanted to go back to do it because he didn't have his degree. So we moved again so he could teach um, and get his degree in that. Um, And then we moved again when he was done. So we moved for like every year and a half to two years in my formative years, right, which is hard. And then we settled in Southern Oregon. um, And then my parents never could settle into a church. So we, we would try a church out. I'd kind of get like going with people and friends and then they would decide this isn't really for us. So we would move on to the, to the next church. We were the quintessential church hoppers all throughout my life. So I was really good at being the new girl. I, I always hated it when you would like go into a new group and they'd be like, can all the new people stand up? I always had to stand up and they'd be like, so what's your name? And I'd be I'm Heidi. Oh, nice to meet you, Heidi. You'd sit down and then there would be no other interaction. And it felt like it was always my job to like try to start these friendships. So I got really, really good at asking questions. And there's something powerful about that. I'm really grateful for because there's something about questions that can like open somebody up and you really get to dive into who they are right? So questions are powerful. So I'd start, I'd start with questions like, what's your name? Where do you live? What school do you go to? Which would lead to an awkward question because then they'd ask me and I'd be like, oh, I'm schooled. And they would be like, okay, I don't know what that is. But but we'd get to journey down a little bit. And as, as we developed this friendship, I, I started to kind of get a groove a little bit. Then I'd start to ask questions like, "So." If, if God is God and Jesus is God's son, but they're one, how does that work? Or if we're supposed to love our neighbor, but homeless don't have a house, then who's supposed to love them because they don't have neighbors? And my fellow like eight-year-old friends would be like, huh? Because most eight-year-olds don't think that way. And I started to realize I'm kind of weird i think like other people i don't learn like other people i don't read like other people because at that point i had a learning disability but i didn't know it i ask weird questions and i'm a weird homeschooler that has a dad who teaches in the public schools nobody i didn't quite fit into any niche so i i kind of learned the sting from a really early age of what friendship can the, the lack of friendship can cause I remember distinctly at 13, laying on my bed, which some of you might have this memory too, and crying into my pillow, right? I remember crying, Lord, I don't know why I want friends so bad. Can't we just be good? Like you and I, I keep having this draw to find friends and I go to a new group and I try and and I'm kind of just weird and nobody really knows what to do with me. Nobody's really engaging with me can't I just quit this whole, like, friendship thing? And I thought, like, I thought I was good at 13. I was like, yeah, I don't need other people. But something kept drawing me back to friendship. It would be like this instinctual need to connect with other people outside of my family. I needed friends. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. And the image of God is a threesome. It's a trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they have a friendship. They have a dance. They have a relationship. Right? So we are image bearers. We long for that same connection. So if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know why I still want friends. You're not crazy. We are designed to need relationships. We are designed to need friendships. So it's a good place to start. But we are not the Trinity. We are broken human beings. So when we start to engage with people and we start to journey with people, inevitably, we get hurt. Because our brokenness affects one another, right? And I think that those scars leave marks we need to be aware of them as we journey down the path of friendship, right? Because somebody can, like, poke at it, and we, they don't even know they're doing it. Scars that were made at, like, 15, that now somebody can make a comment, and I'm like, whoa. Just the other day, a friend said, wow, you're kind of acting snotty. And they meant it at like a, like a kind of silly, like, not in a mean way. And I was like, What? that hurt so bad. And they had no idea that I had a friend call me snotty over and over again in a really mean way when I was young. They didn't know. And it took me to have to be conscious enough to say, hey, that's a trigger. We hurt each other. It's inevitable. It's hard. So my next question is, it's a fun one. What is the moment in your life you were hurt by a friend? So you can either write it down or you can just think about it and, and go on that journey. What is are, what are a scar that you have? Let me give you a moment. It's a hard one, right? I don't like look, looking back, thinking of those moments. They hurt. But it's good to know. Because it's good to know friendships are not easy. They can hurt. So about a year and a half ago, well, about a year ago, I had a friend, um, I still have a friend, um, that we go way back. We went to high school together and she stole my boyfriend in high school. And I, we kind of knew who each other was, but since she was dating my ex-boyfriend, I thought, well, keep friends close, but your enemies closer. So I'm going to, like, really get to know this girl um, because my boyfriend left me for her. So I have to find out what's so great about her. Well, there was stuff great about her, and I fell in love with her. And we became so close in high school. Later on, she had learning disabilities, so I never wanted to go to school um and I was kind of drifting through life not knowing what to do and she really encouraged me because she was at George Fox University up in Newburgh and she said come come just check it out so year after year she would invite me and I was like no no thanks then finally I said her senior year I said okay I'll come check it out and I fell in love I fell in love with the class size because I thought well even if I'm not good at school I'm good at people interaction if it's a small class I can do this so um I started going to George Fox and she introduced me to my husband her husband was my husband's best friend. We, she is so ingrained into who I am. About a year ago, she was 37 weeks pregnant, 38, and I get a call from her. And, then, and I couldn't answer at the time, so I get another call. And I'm thinking, oh, this is it. She's having her baby. Because um, she can, like, pop out babies super fast. And I thought, oh, this is going to be early. So I thought, oh, yay, she's having her baby. So I call her back, and she said, so I had stroke-like symptoms today. She's an ER nurse in the hospital, and they said, they set me right up for imaging, and I have a tumor in my brain. They don't know what it is, but I have to have a C-section, and, and I have to get her baby girl out before they can, can do any tests. So she went into a C-section. We all kind of held our breath, like, what is this thing? Turned out to be cancer. Turned out to be stage four glioblastoma, which is the worst kind of cancer you can have in, in your brain. Life expectancy is 18 months. She's in month 13. It crushed me. It turned my life upside down. She's in Boston because her husband is in grad school. We are a, literally a country apart. I don't know what to do. And it hurts. It hurts. And I felt like such a bad friend, and it started hitting a bunch of my triggers. Like I had nothing worthy to offer her in that season. What was I gonna do? I couldn't bake her a meal. I couldn't visit her in a hospital. I couldn't watch her girls. I had been her primary daycare for a year before they'd moved out there with her first. And so we were close. Her and her, her daughter and I were like, she was like my second daughter. And oh, I couldn't watch her. I couldn't hold her baby girls. What was I supposed to do? I felt worthless. And this was a trigger that hit from, way early in my formative years, that I had nothing worthy to bring to a friendship. And if that's you today, it is not true. You have awesome things to bring. But they hit triggers, right? Friendships are hard. So I'm going to look to a friendship. That is an amazing example that we get to learn from. So in 1 Samuel we see the life of David. I mean, talk about somebody who, like, didn't think he had anything to bring. He's this scrawny kid. Tons of other older brothers who probably teased him, put him down. And his, like, best friends were sheep. I mean, he he wasn't, like, an ideal friend. So he gets called one day in, and he gets anointed as king by the king. I mean, talk about crazy. And... Then so so God sees him. First act is God sees him as king. And he gets anointed. Nobody else sees this scrawny kid as a king. Right? Then his brothers go to war. He shows up and he kills Goliath. His fir- first act as king. Right? So he God sees him as king and now he's acting like a king. And everybody cheers him on. Oh, that's awesome. But not many people saw him as a king at that point. But two people did. Saul and his son, Jonathan. Now Saul was king. He was king. And we have two very different reactions. They both saw him as an anointed king that could go like the distance. Saul hated him for it. he tried to kill him right off the get-go. Now we see Jonathan's reaction in chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as he loved himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with a tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. So they had like some interaction before and Jonathan tried to do this before, but it didn't work. So this is like their first real interaction. And Jonathan like gives it all to David. So like, if I was like down in a coffee shop, I kind of saw somebody I might have known and they came up to me with their coffee in their hand. They're like, oh man, Heidi, I love you as much as I love myself. Here's my coffee. Now, now here's my jacket. I'd be like, whoa, step back. Like, it was a little too much for me right off the get-go. Like, can we we get to know each other a little bit more? This was not a normal friendship. This was an anointed friendship. Because God knew that Jonathan and David needed one another. David was going to be king. He needed friends. So right from the beginning, we see that Jonathan had a vision for who David could become. Because he gave David his his tunic and his sword. Now this represented his inheritance. Jonathan was like the prince. He was going to be king. He had it made. And he sees this kid and something overcomes him. And he says, that guy's going to be king. Gives him his inheritance and says, I'm going to step back so that you step into my position. Because he had a vision for who David was and who God called David to be. Crazy. I don't think I would be that selfless. We see that Jonathan loved David. We see this multiple times. It says it multiple times throughout this um, friendship. Jonathan loved David more than he loved himself. In the next, like, few um, chapters, we see six attempts on David's life by Saul. Very quickly, like, back to back, right? So David's, like, always on the run. And Jonathan is always running after him and saves his life multiple times. Because he sees something in David that's remarkable. And he loves him as he loves himself. At one point, he even confronts his father and says, Are you really going to kill this guy? And Saul's like, yeah, I hate him. And Jonathan's like, no, don't do it. You can't kill him. And Saul then tries to kill Jonathan, throwing a spear at him. Because that's how much Jonathan loved David. So then Jonathan goes and finds David in the cave or in the, I don't know, the wilderness hiding and does some like secret arrow shooting thing like, You know, don't you always want like a secret handshake with your friends? Like, oh, we're so cool. So they kind of had it, but it was like with arrows. And they come out and they see each other because they didn't know if either of them was alive. And they were so happy to see each other that they wept together. They wept together. That's how much they loved each other. So Jonathan loved David. Jonathan trusted David. So he made a covenant with him. Now there's multiple times in their story they make a covenant together. And in this one, this one's thought to say that Jonathan had a commitment to David, that he saw David as king and he was saying, I'm going to see you through this. And I'm going to get you until there until you're king. I'm making a commitment to you because I trust God. I trust that God sees something in you and that I'm going to walk this journey with you. And I'm committed. I'm in it. So he makes a covenant, a commitment. To David. Then, so they they go through this journey. David's constantly fleeing for his life. Um, And at one point in chapter 23, David has gone to war with the Philistines. He's like defeated them. And Saul thinks, oh, I've got him. He's trapped in the city. So then David has to flee. And he flees so good that nobody knows where he is. Not even his own men. And Saul is mad. Why can't anyone find him? Guess who found him? Jonathan. They were so connected that Jonathan could find him in the wilderness when nobody else could. Right? So he goes and finds him. And it says in 23 verse 16, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. He drew him to God because it started with God. It started with, I see who God has made you to be. So I love you. I have a vision for you. I trust you. And then we're going to pull it back to the beginning and I'm going to draw you nearer to God because it's all about God. Right? So he has, he has a vision. He loves him. He trusts him. Made a covenant. And he draws him nearer to God. So in my, in this journey of my friend having cancer, I was left not knowing what to do. Right? And it like struck a chord. And all of a sudden I started to doubt all these other relationships in my life. I started to wonder, like, am, am I good? Like, am I a good friend? What if I what if I am like falling short? What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't know what to say? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I ask the wrong question? And I I started to like hide within myself. See the, the tricky part about David and Jonathan is, it's not a balanced friendship. So I grew up, again, I was homeschooled. So I didn't have a ton of like examples around me. And we were, not there are like these cool homeschool groups now that like are awesome. But we didn't have that growing up. And so it was, I was pretty like sheltered. So I didn't have a lot of like examples of what friendship looked like. Do you guys remember like TGIF? Like the sitcom shows on Friday night about these like friendships. And they were so um, awesome. And they would, they were these like friends that were bound together by this like unspoken covenant and they would somehow get into mischief somehow and then by the end of it, they would be all fine and they would deepen their relationship together. And I thought, that's what I want. I want. I want to like get into mischief and I want to, and then somehow get out of it and then get closer together as friends. I want a best friend. I want a BFF, Right? That was m- what I thought friendship was. So that's what I, like, st- started to go looking for. So then I thought, okay, if Jesse's going through this horrible experience, like, in, in my mind, I was like, okay, if, if she, if I would want, like, a cake, then I somehow need to get her a cake, right? If, I like chocolate when I'm going through horrible things. <laughs> so that's why I go to cake. But if I, or a cup of coffee, if I want someone to watch my girls oh and then I should watch her girls right because I think okay if my best friend hangs out with me for an hour on a Friday night then I should probably hang out with her on a Friday another Friday night right and if she gets me an awesome birthday present then I should get her an equal awesome birthday present or even better I should top it right because in my mind best friends were equals we should like offer the same thing to each other well, guess what? Jonathan and David didn't do that. We, we kind of see an imbalanced relationship. Like, David, I don't know if I would have wanted him as a friend. He's constantly running away. And Jonathan has to, like, go after him. Right? And then Jonathan has to go after him and, like, constantly do this work for him. But they needed one another. Friendship doesn't always feel balanced. It doesn't always feel good. But they needed one another. They needed someone to step into that gap. Right? And later, they go through this, so it kind of seems like Jonathan loves David more than David loves Jonathan. Like, man, Jonathan kind of got the sucky end of this deal. Like..., Where, where was his like? He didn't get to be king. He loved this guy, and he died in war. But then later we see in 2 Samuel, at the very beginning, Jonathan has died and Saul has died in the war against the Philistines, and David writes this lament for both of them. Saul? What? Saul hated him and for Jonathan, and it's a beautiful lament. Right? And then later on when he's king, one day he gets like really upset and he's like, is there anyone in the house of Saul and David left? Like, everyone's like, I don't know. Who cares? They're old news. You're like the new king. Let's focus on you. No! I need to know, is anyone left in the house of Saul and Jonathan? he's, He's like, fervent about this question he needs to know and they find they find jonathan's son so not only did this kid ne- lost his grandfather and his father but he also lost his inheritance right he he was basically a no one and he was crippled in both feet i mean, this guy didn't have a lot going for him And David found him and said, come, come be in my house. You know, the gal tonight said that she got to go inside Buckingham Palace. This would be like going inside Buckingham Palace and then the like royal family saying, hey, come be a part of our family. Come eat at our table every day, every day. He didn't deserve it. And David says, this is all on behalf of Jonathan because he loved Jonathan. So this might seem imbalanced. It might seem like, wow, Jonathan didn't really get a lot, but David loved him. And this is tricky because there are times in our lives that we're in the cave and we need a Jonathan to run after us. And then there are times that we have friends who are in the cave and we have to run after them and be a Jonathan. And it might feel unfair. It might feel unbalanced. I have a friend who still is battling cancer in Boston and I have to be her Jonathan. I, used to, I would get about a year. About six months into this journey, I'd get so mad. I'd call her, and I'd be, oh, we're just going to talk about cancer again. And then I'd get mad at myself, like, come on, how do you get it together? She's going through this horrible experience. And then we'd, I'd call her, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm okay. And then she'd tell me more about her journey and cancer, and I'd kind of get frustrated again, like, she's not asking me how I am, to the point where she, would start, she didn't even know what was going on in my life. And I was mad. I felt like, come on, I need some out of this. But that's not what she needed. She needed me to run after her in whatever way I could. And the most powerful way I could do that was prayer. and I never stopped praying for her because sometimes I didn't even have the words to say, except, man, this is awful. I can't believe her going through this. And that's what we just say to each other over and over again. But then I would get on my hands and knees and I would pray. And I'd go after her in her caves spiritually with God. And I'd encourage her. Because sometimes we need a Jonathan and sometimes we are a Jonathan. So how do we do this? In real life. <laughs> and every day. Because we're, I mean, Jonathan and David were in some, like, horrible circumstances, right? Like, I think it's bad when, like, my friends come over with their little kids, and I have my little kids, and they're, like, running around, and we're trying to carry on a conversation, and it's just not happening, and I'm thinking, this is awful. Well, nobody's trying to kill me, right? They were in an awful circumstance. And they managed to, to bond together. So I think we can do it. So how do we do it? We get to know each other, Right? we ask good questions. I think sometimes we assume that, um, oh, like some people are really good about just coming, um, to somebody like a friend and just being like, Hey, let me dump on you. Cause this is what's going on in my life. Um, but other people like me have a really hard time with that. It's so, like, I don't want to burden them. What if they're not in a place they could hear it? So I wait for people to ask the questions, which is my own issue and I deal with it. But Asking good questions is powerful. Engage with one another. Risk the awkward moments. Because there's going to be awkward moments when you have to look at a friend and say, man, you've been off for a few weeks. What's going on? And they're like, "Um, nothing, I'm fine. Right? And you're like, okay, then I guess I was wrong. But it was worth asking. Because what if they said, oh, yeah, I am like struggling in my marriage and I don't know what to do about it. And I don't know who to talk to. I don't even know how to bring it up. I don't even know what's really wrong, but I'm struggling. Thank you for asking the question. Thanks for noticing, but it could have been really awkward, right? But risk it because we love each other. Because we get to engage with one another. Love is a powerful thing. At the top of your hand, there's a scripture that says no greater love than this to lay down your life for a friend right to engage in the awkward moment to get to know each other to make the other person greater than yourself because Jonathan loved David more than he loved himself so lay down your life and love your friend so love one another fight for one another you know, there are good ideas thought up every single day. I have awesome ones when I'm doing the dishes, right? I'll be like doing the dishes. I love the dishes because I hate the laundry, but love the dishes because the dishes is like warm water on my hands. I love that. Um, I love warm water. I am always cold except right now because it's really hot in here, but I'm always, so the dishes are like my zone, right? So I'm doing dishes and I'm always thinking about like great ideas. Like, Oh, Okay, I have my two girls, are in separate rooms. But maybe if I like put them together in their own room and we redo their room, that they'll be like happier because they are social and they love each other. So okay, I'm going to do this. And I create the whole room and the whole plan how we're going to do this. And then it never happens, right? Great ideas are thought up every day. I know each and every one of you have them every single day. They could be little, They could be big. We think of them every day because we're image bearers. Because God's creative and you're creative. But many of those good ideas don't ever see an end, see a result. Because we need people in our lives to encourage us through them. Because whether it's painting your girl's bedroom or it's becoming king or whatever God put in your life, we're going to get to a point where we want to quit where we lose heart. We say, this is too hard. I don't know how to do it. And we need the people in our lives to say, no, it's not. You can do it. It's worth it. Right? Because we see the glory of God in one another. In Second Corinthians, it says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we are all... And we all who with unveiled faces complete the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with, every, with an ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Then we jump down to chapter four, verse six. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, in your hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We get to have vision for each other because you are glorious. Because God is in you. That's glorious. You're glorious. And we need people to encourage that. We need friends. We need friendship to encourage the glory of God in us. To call it out. For Jonathan to look at David and say, you are going to be king, and I make a covenant to you because of it. Right? I have a friend that is a great texter, and she texts me all the time, and she knows my heart. Um, Someday I want to go to seminary. I'm doing the mom thing now, and she'll just text me every so often and be like, "You, you got this, girl. Like, you have something to say. That it's going to be in your future. And she'll send me these little encouragements. We don't get to see each other very often. I can't tell you what that does to me to point my eyes to where my heart is like longing to go, which might be in 20 years. Who knows? I may never get there, but she validates that like longing in my heart. And we need that in one another. We need to validate that calling, that glory of God, and how it manifests in each and every one of you. So you have to have vision for one another go to the hard places. So (laughs) I had just given birth to my first daughter, Alice. So I was like new to the whole birthing process um, and how everything like worked. And we had friends over, dear friends, um, a couple, and we were having dinner. They were meeting Alice and we discovered throughout dinner that the husband had never changed a diaper. Now he was going to have his baby girl in, in about two months. And I thought, uh, okay, you never change your diaper. We're going to change that tonight. You're going to change Alice's diaper. I thought this was going to be easy. I mean, it's a newborn. They don't crawl around. They're just, she's just laying there. Now, he works a nice job. So he's in his suit, his nice tie, his jacket, his pants. And we all, we all go in We're to gather around him, to coach him on, to tell him how to do it. And he's standing there. He's a little like apprehensive, like, what am I supposed to do with this? So he opens the diaper, he pulls it back, and instantly as he pulls it back, she projectile poops all over him, all over him. This is like that yellow nasty poop. <laughs> oh! And he is standing there drenched, and he doesn't know what to do, and we, the, the rest of us, do an audible gasp, like, <gasps> like, I can't believe that just happened. What do we do? And then we instantly start laughing. I mean, like, the guttural, like, tears rolling down the face, laughing. We're all laughing. Thankfully, he's laughing, too. And we're losing it to the point where I completely empty my bladder. Because after you have a baby, you don't have much control down there. All, oh, like, completely drenched my pants. I Then we instantly stop, again, laughing. Everybody looks. And we start another roll of laughing. Because I trust these people enough to laugh about it. Because sometimes the hard places can bring joy. The embarrassing places can bring joy. So go to the hard places. Laugh with one another. Cry with one another. Just recently, I had an interaction with friends, and we're sitting around, and I, um, they hit a trigger of mine. They didn't know it, but they hit it, and it went deep, and it hurt. And I'm sitting there and I'm like holding back the tears, like it's like right here. And I'm thinking this is awkward. I'm not gonna cry with these people. I'm just getting to know them. Like they're gonna think I'm—I mean—they're gonna think I'm crazy if I just start bursting into tears right now. So I'm holding it back. And and so a little while later, we kind of we're like picking up. We're tr- we're getting done, and and I turn around and I I can't hold it back anymore. And I, and I start crying, but I, I'm like in control, right? I'm like they're not gonna notice. Like I'm I'm just a little weepy. And it's late at night, so I'm even having a harder time controlling at this point. And all of a sudden, they notice, and I am mortified. What's going on, Heidi? What's wrong? And I lose it in an instant, sobs. I mean, ugly tears. Like, cannot control what's going on. And all I can say is, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm crying with you. This is so embarrassing. And they're like, oh, what's going on? What What hit you? I'm thinking, they don't really want to, they don't really care. Like, they're just going to want to go. And they start gathering around me. They start coming and they start crying. And they keep looking at me going, Heidi, you're worth it. Worth it. What's going on? And we sat there and I just dumped. And it was worth it to trust them. It takes trust to go to the hard places. It takes trust to cry together. Sometimes, you know what? We need other people's tears just as much as we need our own. We need to let people cry with us just as much as we need to cry with other women. It's a powerful thing to cry together. So if you're like here with a friend and you're like, I don't want to cry, like the lump's right there, but this is too like awkward, cry. If it's a good moment, you know, you and the spirit know that, but judgment's a good call, but cry be present with each other. So I just recently got a smartphone. I had like a smartphone, but it was kind of a disguised smartphone because it couldn't, it could only download two apps. Um, So it was like a stupid phone disguised as a smartphone. Best kind, right? So really I could just call and text. And just recently in December, I got my first smartphone. Like this thing is cool. It can do everything. I swear it could rule my life. I mean, there's an app for like grocery shopping. And, like, paying my bills. I I'm, keep looking if there's, like, an app to control my children. I haven't found it yet, but I swear it's on there. But you know what it can't do? It can't make friends. It can be a tool. It's a tool for friendship. I would not be as close to my friend in Boston without my phone. But it's only a tool, so put it away. Be present with one another. drive together. I love road trips. It's one of my favorite things to do because, well, now with the law with putting away your phone, you have to put it away in the car, but you get to just be together and you kind of have to awkwardly ask questions and put on music and like dance together or drink coffee together or you just have to be present in the moment for however long it's going to take you to get there. I love it and you get to experience these new things, right? like stopping at a rest stop and it being so gross and you laugh together about how gross the rest stop was and how it felt like it was going to threaten your life. You get to experience that together. Road trips are amazing. So sit together, whether it's in a car, it's on your couch, in a movie theater, in a restaurant, sit together. Be present with one another. Run together. Cook together. Raise your kids together. Be present, but this takes trust. It takes trusting one another because to go to the hard places you have to trust them and then you have to to let them in and see your life you have to trust them that they want to go there. So love one another, cast a vision and trust one another. And the last one is so important. If you don't get anything else from the seminar, get this. You cannot do friendship alone. You need God. It's too Too many times I thought, I'm such a good friend. I'm awesome at this. And I would try to do it on my own, and I would crash and burn. And I would get hurt, and I would hurt other people. Because I did not trust God, and I didn't invite him in. And we cannot do it without God. It starts again. It starts with a vision from God. Who is this lady sitting in front of me? What's the glory of God look like in her? What vision am I going to cast for her? What do I love about her? What do I trust in her? How do I trust her? And then how do I draw her nearer to God? And we go back to the beginning and it goes back to God. Because it's all about God. Because we have the glory of God in us, right? And it's powerful to see. See, because when we get to know each other, we get to see who God is more clearly. So there are friends that I haven't even met yet along my journey. And when I meet them and get to know them and dive into this friendship, I will get to know and be introduced to an aspect of God that I don't even can't even fathom. And it will paint a bigger tapestry. Eugene Peterson writes, "Friendship is friendship is a much much underestimated aspect of spirituality." There's my dyslexia coming through. It's very and it's a very every bit as significant as prayer and fasting like the sacrament used of water and bread and wine friendship takes what is common in human experiences and turns it into something holy your common experiences that you experience every day doing the dishes painting your girl's room driving to see your parents It will turn those common experiences into something holy because you have the glory of God in you and we get to see that, we get to encourage it, we get to cast a vision, we get to love it, we get to trust it, and we get to draw it nearer to God. We need one another. The most powerful thing about Jonathan and David was that they needed each other. David would not have become king without Jonathan. It never says that, but I think that that's implied. (laughs) With how many times he saved his life. They needed one another. So draw each other nearer to God. So, the last question I'm going to have you guys take a moment and look at is What is the vision? What's your vision for friendship in your life or a specific friend that you have? What's your vision? Where do you want to go from here? I'm going to give you a moment to think about that. I hope you take that one with you. And you keep asking yourself, The women in my life, what does it look like to love them? What does it look like to cast a vision for them? What do I see in them? What's the glory of God look like in them? What's it look like to trust them, to be present with them? And how do I make that happen? And how do I draw them nearer to God? And then to flip it, how do I let myself be loved? How am I letting people cast a vision for me? Because you got to let yourself be seen in order for people to do that. Am I letting people trust me, and am I trusting them? Am I trustworthy? Am I a trustworthy friend? And then finally, am I letting people draw me closer to God? Because we all need it. cannot do this life without people drawing us closer to God. We need women in our life. We need friendship in our lives that draws us closer to God. So I hope you continue to ask those questions and and ask the question, what's the vision look like for the friends in your life? Thanks for coming, and I hope you guys have a wonderful night. And enjoy tomorrow. There's going to be some amazing speakers tomorrow, and there will be brunch. I don't know if they announced that, but there will be brunch in between the first and second seminar um, tomorrow, and it's good stuff. So have a wonderful night, and hope to see you all tomorrow. Thanks.